1: with Donovan and Ken episode number 303 recorded June 30th 2019
0: so we're back in burn territory with uh, Star Trek New Visions 10 and 11 yep we get to
1: find out Mr. Chekhov's origin story and we get to see an old friend you know you can never have enough Apollo in a story
0: yeah a sequel to one of the best season two episodes Uh, oh my gosh no and you said only the season three ones were bad.
1: <laughs> I didn't say only. I just said <laughs> pretty much all the season threes were bad. This is like a season three that came early. <laughs> to be honest, I, uh, I didn't remember the episode
0: all that well, so I rewatched it this morning. And uh, I went directly to season three. Because I was like, oh, yeah. this is a bad one, so it must be in season three. And I went through the whole thing, and I'm like, oh, it's season two. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: I feel exactly. Yeah. So, so you had a big old hand holding the enterprise in place. Right. Yes, big that, old hand. An Apollo size sized hand. So in um
0: one of the books that uh, I think it's called uh, Star Trek Captain's Daughter by Peter David. Um mm-hmm. he actually has Sulu like giving a lecture and uh Somebody asks him, is it true that the Enterprise was held by a hand? And he's like, oh, yes. Uh, that was just one of the many crazy things that happened to us on our voyage. <laughs>
1: oh, my, yes. I always thought that was funny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When, when, they, when, when, the, when the episodes go into that kind of territory, it's like, oh, oh my. <laughs> oh my. It's, it's, it's face plant five times. Or um, hand plant f- five times. Although
0: I don't plans. know if I've ever I wa- ever watched the uh, the special edition version of it, so this might have been the first time that I watched with the the newer special effects. Oh, and it doesn't oh, gotcha. look as horrible as I remember it looking. Uh-huh. But but yeah, therefore the good chunk of the episode, it's literally just a hand cut off at the
1: wrist holding yes. the Enterprise in place. It's like what, what what's that thing in the Adams family that runs around the thing. hand? Thing. Okay, it's like thing. Yeah, exactly. I said, Hey, you know that thing they had in the Adams family? We could use that kind of thing here in this episode.
0: Well, maybe oh, maybe idea. the movie version of the Adams family got the idea from that episode because thing in the TV show just came out of the box. It wasn't until the movie in the 90s that it actually ran around. Oh, right. It actually moved
1: around? Yeah. Exactly, cuz they didn't have the tech or the money. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Plus I don't think that's what the the comic strip had.
1: Oh, it just had it coming out of the box.
0: To be honest, I don't even know if they ever even showed Thing in the. I think they just had a box and and they would make reference to Thing being in it. Oh, but I don't know right. if they ever actually showed Thing. Huh. I might be wrong. I'm not a I'm not a Adams Family expert, but
1: well, I've never seen the comic, so you have a lot on me when the, when it comes to that.
0: It's good. Okay, stuff. good stuff. There you go.
1: There you go. Um, but yes, we get to. Okay, so. Byrne apparently took uh, what was seen as a mistake in The Wrath of Khan, uh, a reference to Chekhov knowing who Khan was when we never saw him in that episode or anything in season one, Mm -hmm. and he knew who Khan was, and Khan knew who he was. It seems to be a mistake, a trivia question to be asked and answered, but no, this finally explains where Mr. Chekhov was. Yep, and
0: it's not a bad. It's it's not a bad story. No,
1: it's not really, a good story. It's just not a bad one. <laughs> okay, so so the parts with Chekhov in there with the red shirt and everything. And by the way, it looks very. It's he he, he looks good in the red. Um, I mean, it looks kind of like a real photo. Uh, again, the photoshopping uh, work of uh, of Mister Byrne is quite good, um, and. I, 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 I thought that was good His interactions with Scotty So that, that was great It's just that the whole premise of the threat to the ship
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, With the MacGuffin or, Of the story or whatever Was ridiculous Yeah, Ridiculous And then how the, it actually How Byrne chose to have ha, ha, Have this This threat To the entire universe um, uh, Actually manifest itself In what happens in the story Ridiculous Ridiculous but whatever.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, let's listen. Let's, uh, let's, let's give it a look and see how, how exactly. they, they did do it. Yeah.
1: Don't want to give too much away. Yeah. Okay. So um, <clears throat> this is New Visions number 10 uh, titled Mr. Chekhov. And its published date is September 2015. Uh, creative team, uh, all the art and writing and all the creative stuff is uh, by John Byrne. Uh, the, sto- the story features characters created by Robert Bloch, who uh, – okay, Robert Bloch. And then edited by Chris Royale. So, um, right. The cover shows four high-ranking Enterprise bridge crew arranged around a lowly ensign. Headshots of Spock, Kirk, Scotty, and Dr. McCoy – all looking at a Pavel Chekhov in the center sporting an uncharacteristically red tunic. Scotty and Chekhov, with a red tunic on, are going about their engineering duties in the flagship of the Starfleet. Chekhov is pointing out his schedule shift is over, but Scotty makes it clear he's low man on the totem pole, the new mule on the team. His shift won't be over for some time, and to make it worth it, Scotty imparts a wad of engineering wisdom on him. Meanwhile, on the bridge, Kirk comes off a long, tiring shift and turns the con over to Mr. Spock with Sulu at helm and DePaul at navigation. Spock reminds DePaul of a course correction that is due. While in engineering, Scotty can hear and feel the ship turn. He is marveling at the grace of the massive Tritanium Dancer. He tells Chekhov almost poetically how the Enterprise is like a woman. And like a woman, you need to listen and learn how to read her many moods and anticipate them. Scotty's mood shifts, and his voice takes on a more serious tone. He says something is a wee bit off. He orders Shea and Ramirez to check the energy flow. While walking through the hallway to Kirk's quarters, McCoy counsels him that he needs to relax once in a while when the lovely Marla MacGyver's ship's historian tries to talk to the captain and she only gets a vague response from him. McCoy points out his response to that lovely lady is the litmus test that tells him Kirk has been working way too hard. Scotty calls up to the bridge to report a 6% rise in ship's power levels. Spock tells Scotty to keep him informed as his investigation progresses. Spock turns to Sulu, DePaul, and other members of the bridge crew and and as they slowly discover, number one, something is dead ahead of them that is returning sensor readings never before logged by Starfleet. Number two, Spock says that it's something alien to this universe, and it's huge. Number three, the blonde, blue-eyed communications officer reports it's generating interference that is jamming their communications with Starfleet. Number four, the forward view makes it look like space is solidifying ahead of them. Though Spock slows the ship, they still move towards the phenomenon, and he warns Scotty that power levels will likely continue to increase as they approach the center of the phenomenon. Scotty dispatches his engineers to work on various tasks to prepare for the continuing power increases that they need to compensate for, or the ship's systems will start to overload and burn out. A certain young ensign with a funny accent is learning fast as the engineering crew is going through a trial by fire. While Chekhov is tasked with monitoring power levels, there is a sudden overload in the ship's warp drive that rocks the ship and launches it to warp speed. Warp 6. Warp 8. Warp 10! As the bridge crew scrambles to slow the ship, Spock presents his hypothesis that is... And a parallel universe is leaking into our own. Spock recounts the multiverse hypothesis as it was framed by essentially string theory from the late 20th century. As the ship races towards warp 12, Scotty enacts a bold plan to drain off the excess power by firing aft phasers. It works. Power levels drop and the ship slows. McCoy points out maybe they should just turn around and go in the other direction. In response, Spock patiently explains there is no direction they can go in to escape the invading universe. The phenomenon affects all points of their universe. It is literally a new parallel dimension that is coming into our own dimension. If it is allowed to complete, it will overwhelm and destroy our dimension, taking everything we know with it. Scotty hatches a second plan to funnel the excess power into a huge room of high capacity batteries that run almost the full length of the secondary hull. Tesla power wall plates in comparison. Though Chekov knew they were on board to provide power in emergencies, he marvels at how many there are. Scotty assigns Chekov to monitor the power console while he makes preparation to funnel excess power into the batteries. Even though Sulu was able to slow the ship to two-thirds impulse power, a proximity alert sounds and the ship literally sideswipes solid space. The saucer section sustains significant damage that just won't buff out. Eight crewmen have been swept into space through breaches in the hull that are now sealed. The ship's movement forward is stabilized and Kirk orders further slowing to one-tenth impulse. Scotty reports the batteries are ready to start draining off excess power. Scotty and Chekhov engage the first bank and then a second. Ship's power levels off. They can cut in more battery banks as needed, so Scotty takes Chekhov with him to the bridge. Chekhov steps off the turbolift and is overwhelmed by the awesomeness of it all, the command center of the Enterprise. Scotty snaps him out of his reverie, and Chekhov takes his position to monitor the engineering console, while Scotty joins the rest of the bridge crew in a huddle. Spock presents his plan to direct a massive influx of power at precise coordinates that he thinks should halt the invading dimension's incursion into our own. Scotty reports that between the warp core generating weight beyond normal levels of power and the energy rapidly filling up the batteries, they, j- they may just have enough power to support Spock's plan. Scotty goes on to say the problem is transferring all that power out of the ship without overloading every circuit in the ship will be very hard. Spock says the second challenge is that space will change around the ship. If they are successful, it will take the most skilled of navigators who direct the ship to direct the ship out of danger. Fortunately, they have Mr. DePaul to take on that challenge. Kirk accepts the plan and orders Helm to get the ship to the optimal position. On the way, the aft phasers that have been firing continuously beyond their rated safe operational output finally go supercritical. They explode and take out part of the secondary section. With the phasers out, more power needs to be directed into the batteries. Scotty initially estimates 35 minutes before they start blowing up, but with more, the more recent increase in load, Chekhov says the revised estimate is 12 minutes. Chekhov reports power levels are rising sharply again. Systems start exploding in multiple parts of the ship, including DePaul's navigation station. DePaul is knocked to the ground. Though DePaul is not dead, he won't recover in time to handle navigation. Sulu speaks up for Chekhov, who he has been working with in their off hours on the navigation station. Sulu says Chekhov is very good. Kirk says it's going to take great to get us home. Chekhov, with the conviction of a steely-eyed missile man, says, then I shall be great. Kirk orders Chekhov to the navigation station. The ship is in position. Scotty reports power levels are at 478%, so it's now or never. Spock directs all power to to the deflector shields. Reversing shields now. Coom. Space around them goes white. Spock says it's working. They need to commence their exit strategy now or risk being sucked into the parallel universe as it retreats. Kirk orders Helm to get them out of there. Chekov plots the escape route. Sulu puts full power to the impulse engines. Chekhov shouts, Engage. Spock comments on Chekhov anticipating his order. Well done. Chekhov and Sulu work together to make the adjustments required to get them back into normal space away from the retreating anomaly. Spock reports they are clear. Scotty reports ships' power levels are returning to normal but the ship will need weeks in space dock to repair all the damage. The communications officer reports subspace communications are back to normal. Kirk asks Spock if the incursion is likely to repeat itself. Spock says unlikely, but he cannot be absolutely certain. Kirk tells Chekhov he is granting him a commendation for the fine work today. With a beaming smile on Chekhov's face, Kirk says he will remember him. Three months later in engineering, Pavel is still telling his fellow Red Shirts how the captain said he will remember him. Ohura stops by engineering with a fancy metal box that she gives to Pavel. With his curiosity piqued, Chekhov opens the box with fellow engineers looking on. It contains a brand new command gold tunic in Chekhov's size. The end.
0: I wish they would have had a little scene in those three months where he he bumps up against... uh... Khan.
1: Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. So it's like, okay, uh, so where does Khan come in again? Uh, Burn rightly gives a three-month period. So, there you go.
0: So he could have, uh, he could have, uh, I mean, Khan did spend a lot of time in engineering beating up redshirts.
1: <laughs> he did. Until until Kirk had, it, had to uh, un- very unlikely open up a can of whoop Whoop-butt on, uh, on Khan.
0: Didn't he use, like, a big wrench at some point in that big
1: fight? <sighs> he was able to pull out... Or a hydro spanner or something? Yeah, ex- yeah it, was, it was more like a bar. Okay. That, that just so happened to come out of the front of an engineering console, he kind of, like, turned it. You know, part of it was sticking out, and he turned it to the left or something, and then he was able to pull it out, and surprise! It's, it's, it's a bar, <laughs> and it's metal, and Kirk used it. So,
0: yeah, I would have liked just a little throwaway scene from that from to explain that
1: exactly. You check off to say something like, well, "That's a good thing we came through that con situation." Hey eh, boys, <laughs> "Hey, what's this box?"
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, burn leaves it to your imagination on that one. So, you like the batteries? Uh, I think, you know, at first I thought it was well, isn't that convenient that <laughs> they just have a bunch of batteries? Uh, and then, then after ridiculing it, I remembered. Well, they did mention being on battery power more than once in Taws, uh, right. you know, when the main systems were offline. But so, okay, fine. But isn't it convenient we have something that can save up that much of a charge to uh, to throw at the at the MacGuffin of the week?
0: Yeah, yeah. So should we talk about the MacGuffin?
1: Well, sure, yeah. I mean, we talked about it plenty.
0: So, solid, solid,
1: uh, what space. is it? solid space? Yes, an invading parallel dimension. Birthing, as it were, into ours. How rude. Exactly.
0: Yeah, they kind of gloss over it a few times, but they keep talking about how our Big Bang would have uh done this exact same thing to some other universe.
1: Oh, Oh, I'm, really? Yeah. So so no dimension at this point can come into being without being at the cost of another dimension?
0: I think that's what they were saying at some point, right?
1: Oh, okay. Well, that kind of sucks. Exactly, but then that doesn't make – because
0: then they talk about multiple dimensions coexisting at the same time. Exactly, right. Which then doesn't necessarily mean – but then they kind of, like, start talking about Big Bangs erasing other dimensions to with a new dimension, which isn't existing at the same time. That's at different times. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, I was a little I, confused at
1: times. The whole concept was confusing. So, I, I and, and it's seeming like made up of whole cloth. But, I mean, I, I guess what – Byrne does have Spock talk about basically string theory mm-hmm. uh, and describing the multiverse – and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you know, Burns probably enough of a science fan. Uh, he probably reads about some of this stuff. Uh, so, you know, a, a, he seems to be basing all this on at least current scientific theory. But um, eh, it just seems unlikely. It just – so much of it just seems to be uh, just made up for the convenience of the story.
0: Right. Well, and then the, just the worlds of Star Trek, we've already seen – experiences of uh, parallel universes, so... Mm-hmm. I mean... Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. see anybody with goatees in this one, but uh, that's
1: also a <laughs> parallel universe. <laughs> My god, look! Look at the parallel dimension! There, there's somebody with a beard coming through. <laughs> yeah. Well, in theory, this is, I think they were saying this parallel dimension was being birthed, right. coming into being, so there wouldn't be any... Uh, any living creatures on the other side, I guess, right,
0: yeah. but if it was being birthed then it's then it 's not necessarily a dimension yet, w- which is where I was like they keep jumping from it 's a parallel dimension bleeding into ours versus it 's a new dimension being birthed and starting over again and going to mm-hmm. erase ours mm. and then it got me thinking was wasn 't there a uh, was it a gold key that had a a Kirk from another from the previous big bang. Uh, oh yeah. that that they found in a little escape pod and Yeah. He was trying to keep him from having wasn't another that, big bang.
1: Wasn't that a weird one?
0: Yeah, but this really reminded me
1: word. of that one. I was like, yeah. it's the same it's kind of the same thing. Kind of. Only there's no incredibly the... unlikely uh, Kirk from the previous big bang. Come on, you would have
0: freaked out if it was just like, hey, we picked up a little life sign. <sighs> It's there's a capsule. There's a capsule. We have to open it up. Oh my god, that would have been awesome. Ah,
1: uh, yeah. It, well, <laughs> Bernie has a you... little bit more, a little bit more creativity than that.
0: <laughs> but uh, but visually, I really liked what Solid Space looked like. Yeah, uh, I thought it was cool.
1: Well, some of the artwork was, you know, I, I said coom, uh, you know, yeah. during the during the synopsis. But there is a scene. Where there's the Enterprise in the middle of uh, you know, uh, basically art. So it's like silver and white and grays and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and then the big letters all kind of jumbled in, in, the, in the frame. Coom. I, I, th- I thought that, that looks pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, that. he does the sound effects quite well. <laughs> yes, he does. But even on the, on the cover, they show some of that. Some of what you're talking about. Right. Uh, And and I do think that looks pretty cool.
0: And then even when they had the Enterprise, like, pooping out energy through Ah. the butt, I thought that looked pretty cool, too. Reminded me a little bit of Gold
1: Key. Right, because it's coming out of the secondary hull. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's not like a phaser bank. I mean, they keep saying aft phaser banks. I've never seen a phaser bank but takes up the whole secondary hull that... It's like coming out of the shuttle bay, underneath the shuttle bay. The whole thing is just one big, yeah, stream of light.
1: Yeah, a, a thick beam of light, and then by the emitters. But was that supposed to be when it when it? No, no. That that's what before it blew up, right? Right. That's yeah, when no, they started doing it. That's when they were just okay, bleeding so, it off through the aft right. phaser banks. So to kind of show how much power is involved, uh, burn draws like um, testicles. No, uh, what little little <laughs> no. <laughs> little, round, little round puffs of energy around uh, around where the, the where the where the really strong phaser is coming out. But yeah, I mean it's 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 the biggest, thickest phaser emission we've ever seen. It really looks like the uh, exhaust from the gold key, Just uh, painted white. You, yeah, but I think the exhaust showed like maybe one little kind of semi-ball. Uh, before the rest of the flame came out, and this one shows multiple ones. At least two, and one's bigger than the other. <laughs> <laughs> what? 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 Is it? Is that true? Uh,
0: <laughs> I only see one giant ball, but okay. Maybe, maybe you zoomed in more than I did. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am uh, lapsing into... Uh... Toilet humor, yeah, anyway. you
0: are. So, anyways, artwork I loved. Uh, Storyline not so much. Um, Chekhov's backstory, uh, I thought that was actually good.
1: It was really good. But can I mention one more? Uh, it, just some more examples of how awesome some of the um, the artwork was mm-hmm. that, that Burn put together. Are you going to be uh, facetious? or Are you going to be? Serious? No, no, no. I, I'm I'm purely uh, I'm purely serious. Okay. Good. So, uh, towards the end, when the Enterprise was going really fast and getting out of things. There's a shot, a really beautiful shot, uh, like above and and forward of the Enterprise looking down where there's like silver streaks coming away from the engine and the uh, support pylons. And the Enterprise just looks really cool. And it's totally the kind of thing like like the the drawing technique you'd have in a normal comic mm-hmm. to show something's moving real fast but it's a realistic shot of the enterprise but it has these silver streaks going backward into infinity and i just think it looks awesome
0: yeah it's a good shot
1: that's a really good shot i like it
0: but even the shots on the the previous two pages where it just shows like a bunch of enterprises kind of like stacked together like the flash uh-huh. when he starts running
1: right really fast uh,
0: i think those look good too
1: well, okay, so there's two kind of comic book tools that, that art people uh, doing comic book art have used in the past to kind of get across in a static image motion. Mm-hmm. And he's using it, both of them, and other things like that. He's applying them to these um, photorealistic um, images.
0: Right. Love it. Yeah, and what's cool on that, that previous page, page 38, um, it actually shows Chekhov's maneuver. So they're able to depict a whole bunch of, like, blurry Enterprises in a row, but you can see that the Enterprise is kind of like doing Pitching. a corks, corkscrew type right. work. Right, And And, uh, I mean, it really gets across the idea that he's doing something fantastic with the ship that everybody's like, I didn't even know they could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Creativity, Mr. Chekhov. I don't think that uh, that Chekhov would get a promotion this way by Ohora just dropping off a package. (laughs) You think there would be some conversation? Well,
1: yeah, but it is kind of a a nice little, interesting uh, way of getting across, you know, from a story standpoint. But yeah, it'd probably be something a little bit more official than that, (laughs) right? So it took them three months to put the paperwork through, or they just had to let him get a little bit more experience under his belt before they catapulted him to the, uh, uh, a bridge officer status. Right. Yeah. I mean, not everybody can go
0: straight from Starfleet Academy to the captain seat.
1: Exactly. That's, that's only reserved for special crew, but (laughs) anyway.
0: Yeah. So any other examples of uh, great artwork that you wanted to cut? Um,
1: Mentioned. I think I cut you off a little earlier. Sorry. No, uh, there's there's probably others, but those are the. I think we we mentioned the most important ones. So it's it's good. There's okay. So that's on the same page, you got the coom happening, which looks really really cool. There's also a pretty cool shot at the top where they actually show part of engineering. Uh, a shot we've frequently seen in engineering, and with this one, he's got in really jagged yellow red kind of lettering what, uh is it bitum?
0: b Batum? Uh, i don't know B-t-t-oom.
1: or or yeah, yeah i, I like think that. it's more of that bbtatoom there's two t's in there okay and then it shows like a really energetic explosion going on in engineering um and i think that also looks pretty cool
0: but i like how the uh outline is kind of the jaggedy electric Look, that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Looks, it like, looks
1: like electricity.
0: Yeah, it looks like the lightning bolts from the Apollo episode, actually, because I just watched it. And when he was shooting the lightning bolts from his hands, they were kind of mm-hmm. they looked exactly like this.
1: Ah, there you go.
0: It could have said "Bubututum" back then. Exactly.
1: And 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 the care of burn. So you've got the explosion in the upper thing. Kind of looks like it's coming in through like a, um past the cooling rods or something of. Uh, uh, power management or whatever and the light of the explosion is reflecting in the honeycomb panels of the floor really really nice really cool right I love all of this
0: uh, artwork Um, Mm -hmm. as far as even the stuff he's having to make up it still looks cheesy enough that it was like yeah that could have been in the 60s show even though I know that it's 100% made up by him uh huh like the batteries and stuff like that. We never saw it, but when we do see it, we're like, oh, yeah, those are brightly colored for no reason. Uh, uh, yes, ugly exactly. looking things that, yeah, totally could have been in the 60s show. Exactly.
1: And I love it. Yeah. Well, th- there are a lot of things like the batteries, and there's also things where you see, like, red beams or something going across. Uh, and, and it all looks good. It all looks good and appropriately placed. But yeah, Looks just easy. and just to get the
0: ambiance of the show, I mean, uh, he does have shots shot through that uh, that honeycomb thing, right? So there's that honeycomb mesh that's actually kind of like a wall or something there in engineering, and mm-hmm. and Byrne does have the camera on the other side so that you you're seeing the action through the honeycomb, mm-hmm. which is something that they did in the show. So yeah, it's cool. I mean, uh, yeah. the guy obviously loves the show, and uh, he does. He's able to mimic it quite well,
1: right? And even though parts of the story are kind of lame, um, like I just <laughs> like the that, real show. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. This is the closest I'm going to get to ever seeing uh, real Taws right. in new stories. So I think it's great. Yeah, everybody's young and back to the way they were in the '60s. And uh, thank you, Burn. So uh, speaking. Okay, so th- this is this is this is not '60s at all. It's more like uh, '80s. So, do you think Patrick Stewart might have anything to say about Chekhov saying "engage"? Um, I doubt it. Engage, taking I his tagline.
0: I doubt he's even going to read this one.
1: Oh. Okay. Well, he took Picard's tagline, <laughs> and he said it. Um, I mean, it worked out fine, and Scott, Spock was pretty cool about it. Um, you know, he didn't have some ego thing like, what's this young whelp take stealing my thunder here? No, Spock was cool about it and said, good job, Ensign. Anyway, so I thought that was pretty cool, Spock.
0: Well, I mean, it, it, he did give the order, just Chekhov was already
1: doing it. But the moment to actually do it, that was not Chekhov's to, to, to say engage. Uh I see what you're saying. Although it seemed like, you know, all all the people were doing everything. I mean, Sulu was doing what he had to do. Chekhov was doing what he had to do. I mean, even, I think he even said engines or, or reverse shields and What the hell is all that, by the way? <laughs> but anyway, it seemed like everything was going. Uh, but then I guess the last hammer falls with somebody saying engage and Chekhov did it. So, oh well. Okay, so so they took all the ship's... Uh, power, uh, plus all this built-up power, and they reversed the deflector shields? Right. right to create so, some sort
0: of pulse wave or bubble or something? Or, or something.
1: So maybe something that Riker tried against the Borg at the beginning of Part 2 of Best of Both Worlds? I'm not quite sure, but um, it just seemed like okay. So you're going to take all this power and apply it at just the right place, and, um, and you're going to do it through the, the shields. Okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, what, what, okay, so what is reversing shields anyway? I mean, if all shields <laughs> do is put up a barrier to keep things from getting in, what does it mean to reverse shields? Because it's like, it, it isn't like the shields are going out. It isn't like it's coming in. They're just sitting there. So, Re- what does it mean to reverse them?
0: Reverse shield sucks everything in. So but instead but... of like repelling the phaser fire, it absorbs it and blows the ship up. Duh.
1: <laughs> okay, but by no, point it doesn't is... make sense.
0: I, I totally understand what you're saying, and, and no, I don't understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, shields seem to be a a static thing. You know, they don't do anything; they just sit there. And now, if anything tries to come in. Uh, it'll stop it theoretically as long as it isn't too powerful um but it it doesn't really go anywhere it doesn't go away from the ship it doesn't come towards the ship it just sits there statically so whatever um but okay so there's always been a confusion I think in Star Trek uh, between deflector shield or uh, the shields and the deflector right now they may be similar technologies and I know we've had this discussion before but um so it may be a, a different applications of the same thing. But the deflector shields, or the deflector and the shields are not the same thing. Although they seem to always be mixed up together in dialogue.
0: Right. The deflector is just the little cone in front of the
1: ship to keep move dust and stuff out of the way, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you don't want to run into dust or bigger things. Uh, of course, you you want to purposely avoid uh, running into stars and planets but uh, medium to small things supposedly the deflector shield gets rid of them or deflector uh... well whatever yeah anyway. i gotcha anywho so um so it's, it's just all you know it's, it's like don't worry about explaining time travel and its ramifications just enjoy the ride uh, same kind of thing. This, this is just a threat where Chekhov keep, gets to uh, prove himself. Right. So let's, let, let's let's not worry too much about the whole thing sounding ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. And by the way, Warp 12?
0: Yeah, it's going pretty fast.
1: Okay. If you were really, I mean, because it's exponential. We've said this before. Sure. Uh, seven to eight is much bigger than six to seven, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you, were go, if you were coming up towards that dimension, that other dimension thingy, and you jump to warp 12, I mean, wouldn't you, like, be within it in a microsecond or something? Exactly.
0: Yeah, I don't know why they were going that fast once they saw it. You think that you would try to hang back a little bit and not keep <laughs> racing towards it?
1: Exactly. Because and once you it. see
0: something, you would already be in it. If you're going warp 6 even Exactly
1: I mean you'd be way past Things that were not visible at all yet Because you're going that fast Right I don't know know. Just seems odd Yeah And by the way Nobody turned into lizards So Or salamanders Or whatever
0: Well in the old Star Trek They could go past warp 10 And not turn into salamanders Oh okay That was a next gen thing
1: That uh, Slash voyager
0: Right, well, Next Gen is the one that set the limit to 10. 10. Right,
1: and then Voyager added the Salamanders. Yeah,
0: they were the ones that went over it.
1: Okay, sounds good.
0: But somehow they got it fixed, because in um, a few good things, uh, the Pascal and Enterprise-D refit could go Warp 12 and stuff without turning the Salamanders.
1: Ah, technology. Exactly. And and without ripping apart space, because wasn't that a big thing towards the end of Next Gen? Yeah, exactly. You know, us, you know, just running around the galaxy is uh, ruining the fabric of space or something. It's exactly. like, what a killjoy. Which is why they put, joy. put the governors on the ship.
0: What a killjoy.
1: I th- oh, I just want to mention, uh, it was interesting how uh, Spock suddenly had a lavender-colored tunic in the uh, middle of the uh, adventure.
0: I'm so sure that was just a different color light hitting him.
1: Uh, yeah, I, yeah go, go ahead and make up things like that. It's lavender. And, yeah. and Byrne made it lavender So that wasn't a mistake I mean, you, you have to make it lavender So you're, you're saying that Byrne purposely said That some emergency light or something Altered Spock's normally blue tunic To be lavender And it's lavender A purple you, kind of color You're going to have to tell from. me what picture because It's when Kirk first comes onto the bridge again After his break And everyone's throwing themselves across the bridge Because uh, there's an explosion so, page 12. Bottom of, bottom right of page 12. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's just the explosion.
1: Oh, come on. Yeah. That, I have Kirk, no idea. Kirk, Kirk's tunic looks normal gold.
0: Sure. He's closer to
1: the view screen. Well, I know he's closer to the view screen. It's just... <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know.
0: You're right. It does
1: look a little purplish. I mean, he, he must have put that in. He, he put it in purposely. Yeah. Which is fine. It's fine to put a little different different colors every once in a while but i mean i just why i don't get it okay eh, that's it that's my last thing about this issue all right shall we move on let's do it all
0: right issue 11 this came out may of 2016 uh, by john byrne created by gene roddenberry edits by chris riel and published by ted adams I don't think he got credit in the last one, so I don't know if he's new or what. So this one's entitled, Of Woman Born. So the cover shows the face of Apollo looking down at Carolyn Palamis holding a baby while surrounded by Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Uh, They are back on Apollo's planet where the um, structures have been reformed. So the story actually starts with a 10-page recap of the last 10 minutes of the episode Who Mourns for Adonis. So real quick, uh, Carolyn rejects Apollo, and then he attacks her with some lightning. Uh, Kirk then orders the Enterprise to attack the Greek building uh, that's uh, on the set with them. Uh, When the Enterprise does start attacking it, uh, Apollo stops attacking Carol, and then he starts using his fingerbolt lightning onto the Enterprise. But it's too late and the monument melts and Apollo loses his power. Apollo then pleads to the other guards to take him away and he vanishes, leaving the crew to return back to the ship. So then the actual story starts and uh, this is some very short time later. Uh, McCoy is telling Spock and Kirk of some surprising news. He's, he had some scans that showed Carolyn was pregnant. When she beamed up from the planet. But now she's not. And she shows no sign of losing uh, or having a baby. Kirk orders more tests. But McCoy doesn't want to. Because he thinks that it will just stress her out. If she knows what's going on. Um, And he doesn't want to tell her why he's scanning. um, Or anything like that. So back on the bridge sometime later. Spock tells Kirk that uh, they don't know how gods reproduce. And uh, maybe what happened is normal for them. Uh, Spock then agrees to head back to sickbay to help out McCoy. En route, he feels something, and so he decides to touch the wall and mind meld with it. And when he does so, he's zapped by some unseen thing. Meanwhile, back in sickbay, McCoy starts his extra scans when his tricorder just flies out of his hand, and he's knocked out by some unseen force. Carolyn hears a disembodied voice say, Mother! She uses the communicator on the wall to contact the captain, but then starts screaming midway through her explanation, and she disappears. The ship then starts acting all kinds of crazy, killing people in turbo lifts and other type accidents across the ship. Spock then proposes that he will try to mind meld with the ship again. This time he does it in an isolation room tied down to a bed. When he starts the mind meld, he finds himself in a uh, negative space, it's not a negative space. It's actually the footage of Apollo's planet, but it's a negative, so everything's uh, you know like a like a film negative. Anyways, he finds Carolyn there, and then uh, Spock does a mind meld with her, and then it turns the negative images into normal images, uh, mainly for our benefit, I guess. But I guess this is to show Spock entering that world, or that state of being. Um. He talks to Carolyn, um, and then Apollo shows up. Then Spock says that this is not actually Apollo, but it's actually Apollo's son that Carolyn was carrying. She is quite shocked by this, because, you know, this is the first she's heard of it. She has a kid. Anyway, Spock attempts to touch Apollo's f- face, and when he does so, he's able to mind melt and convey what's happening in the real world to this new life form. Meanwhile, back on the ship, it's shaking up quite a bit and then eventually just calms down. Spock wakes up in his bed in the room and then a ghost, a ghostly form of Carolyn shows up. Uh, Spock does yet another mind meld with her and this changes her from a spiritually clear, somewhat uh, see-through version of Carolyn to a fully solid version of Carolyn. But she's not alone, because she's also holding a wee little baby. Sometime later, the USS Constitution arrives to transport Carolyn and the baby back to Earth Colony 9. After Scotty beams the two to the other ship, he tells McCoy that he and Carolyn had a long talk, and they agreed to part. And this is forgetting that the only romantic gesture she ever gave him in this story, or any other story, is that... In the Apollo episode, she agreed to have coffee with him. Yet, Scotty's acting like they were about to get married or something. So, really strange, and that's the end. Ken, what'd you think?
1: <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I thought it was of it was about as, pl- it was as plausible as the original Taz episode. Um, although, I will say this. He... What Byrne did is he took the Greek mythological idea that gods can mate with humans and produce offsprings that are demigods or whatever, mm-hmm. what Hercules, Apollo, I guess. Apollo himself, yeah. Um, so he takes that idea in Greek mythology and he puts it into this, this episode, th- mm-hmm. th- this story. So from that standpoint, yeah, that makes sense. What the heck? But it's, like, ridiculous. It's it's just uh, so ridiculous. But it's like, hey, if you were able to suspend disbelief long enough to enjoy Who Mourns for uh, Adonis, then you can probably suspend disbelief long enough to enjoy this to some degree. Right. So.
0: So so my main problem with shows from the 60s, including Star Trek, is Mm -hmm. the rampant sexism.
1: Oh. (laughs) Okay.
0: And I just watched who mourns for Adonis, yeah. and in the scene where she Carolyn agrees to have coffee with with Scotty yeah uh I mean they're on the bridge, and Scotty's like, "Hey, would you like to have some coffee with me and she's like, uh yeah, sure, and then that's it and then McCoy's like, "Oh the, or no either Kirk or McCoy says something like uh you know he he has the hots for her, and Scott uh, McCoy, uh, kirk is like um yeah too bad that she doesn't have the hearts for him and that uh that one day she's going to meet a, a real man and, and leave the ship to go oh. have a family or something like that
1: <laughs> he and didn't say real he man. didn't
0: say real man uh, a real somebody who's going to really catch her eye or something like that something to the effect of she's not that attracted to him but one day she will be attracted to somebody and she'll leave the ship that that's basically what he says Oh, and have a baby and to a, have a family. And her reason. career, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. as soon as she finds a husband, she's she's out. And right. he even says, like, I don't see it as losing a crew member, but as you know, lo- yeah, I don't know, it's something really awkward. Yeah, and it's just like you can't have both. You can't be a, have a family or be married and work. You know, it was, Cisco did. Yeah, but even even in a, I mean. Are you saying that everybody on the ship is single? <laughs> I mean, you can't be married well, and and uh, you know your wife still back at Earth or whatever, and you're just on this five year mission until you get back home with her, or, oh yeah. or him like or, so. or whatever or anybody. Like it's so. just like the way the way he says it. One day she's going to get married and leave the ship. Why?
1: <laughs> because exactly, exactly, because she's a woman and that's what women do, right?
0: But anyway, so her agreeing to have coffee, and I don't even think that they have it because as soon as they walk off screen, they get attacked by Apollo, and and, yeah. then, he, and then Scotty's back on the ship on the bridge for the rest of the episode. Um, so I don't think they ever actually had the coffee yet. This episode or this issue acts like they were engaged, like like, especially with that last scene where Scotty's like, "We had a long talk all night last night, and uh, we agreed that." She needs to go off with the baby, and we're going to break things off or whatever. And I'm
1: like, you were (laughs) never together. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So I did not remember that they went to have the coffee in the original Taws episode, and that's it. I mean, they they didn't even begin any kind of relationship. No. This this story definitely – you're right. This story definitely makes it sound like they've got something going. Uh, I mean, she even says, "Uh, we need to talk. Right, exactly. Scotty, and it's like, well, why? Okay, good point, Donovan. I I did not remember that about the episode because I did not go back and re re rewatch it. Yeah. So, anyways, so just, uh, but even in that
0: episode, they just have Scotty being all like lovey-dovey, like, oh,
1: yeah, and protective. What is she doing with Apollo?
0: I'm so scared. I love her so much. (laughs) She almost had coffee with me once.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, good God, he's not Geordi for cry Pete. <laughs> he actually has dated women before. Anyway. Right.
0: So, in this episode, they talk about her conceiving the baby um, during the lightning attack there at the end, possibly. Uh-huh. Um, and then, because I read this before I went back and watched the show, and, and when she comes back to um, the group after she's attacked she is quite um you know shaken shaken and you know her clothes are all you know torn up because she was just struck by lightning but then it got into my head that oh maybe he did just rape her or something like that and that's what they're implying uh because that's definitely what they imply here in the book yeah but um but there's another scene in the episode where she starts kissing him and then it cuts to commercial and you know what that means <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, Is Apollo uh, putting his sandals back on after the, the, commercial, after the commercial break?
0: break. <laughs> 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 well, he's just wearing that toga. It's not like he has a lot to take off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't know what he has under the toga.
0: Well, he turns giant. Everybody knows what he has on. All they had to do was look
1: up. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs>
0: That's the bad thing about togas and giants. They, uh, they're That's not a good combo.
1: No, no, It's like no, a no. Dr. Manhattan...
0: You, you dr manhattan type thing going on oh
1: doctor yeah well he had no problem with uh exposing at all dr manhattan so anyway so
0: i don't i wouldn't have assumed that 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 lightning bolt attack was a rape scene i would have uh gone towards she had consensual relationship with him earlier in the episode Mm. but this issue really drives home the she was uh Non-consenting, or at least that's
1: the way I felt yeah. when I was reading it. Yeah, and quite frankly, that whole part about uh, you know showing Apollo's head in the sky and the lightning coming down and the SCRACK! SCRACK! Yeah. yeah, that's the sound. Okay, and then the the next page shows her like on her back, like kind of like, well, she's saying, ee! but <laughs> but the look on her face is like, oh, right, hmm. hmm, interesting.
0: But in the episode, she's being shocked with lightning yeah but yeah but just that one panel it could could mean something else
1: well I, I when when i read when i read this i did not take that at all at being the point of conception right and her, and her being raped uh consenting or not but uh but now that you mentioned it and going back to this it's like oh yeah oh i can see that but well, i didn't get that when i first read this
0: yeah but then the dialogue comment. later implies that that was that was the time
1: yeah right
0: so I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, I kind of like the idea of, of her conceiving a baby and and the whole what 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 is a baby's gestation period for a god? Yeah. Um I, I pretty quick. That was a very interesting concept, but uh just I don't I don't know. And her not even being aware that she birthed it? Oh, that was another thing about the sexism. I hated that McCoy didn't want to tell her. Oh, well, I don't want to tell her cuz it might give her some Upset stress. Her. Yeah. You tell her exactly. 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 <laughs> she either never was pregnant and should know that, or she was pregnant and is now isn't, and she should know that too. You shouldn't be like, "Well, I don't want to tell her because it might it might upset her." Right. Uh, you can't. A doctor can't sugarcoat stuff. Sure. So, anyways, that was another. That was I was harking back to the the episode with the uh, like the sexism comments there too. Right. It seemed weird. I agree. I agree. But her having the baby, that reminded me of uh, the Troy episode where she had the the light baby.
1: (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that very well. But, uh, yeah, that... Yeah. You know that episode was actually written
0: for Star Trek Phase 2, right? It was going to be Ilya that had the baby.
1: Oh. hmm. Um... I think I had heard something about that. Uh, I saw a YouTube thing. Uh, I forgot which which channel did that, but mm. they basically talked about uh, phase two, right? And just overall, and they talked about some of the repurposed scripts, and then they mentioned that particular one, and then they said, "Well, maybe it's okay that they didn't adapt more of the scripts, the phase two scripts." Oh, that's it's like. Funny. <laughs> Well, they only adapted
0: it because it was during a writer's strike, and they right. had to have something, something. to film, so yeah. they,
1: they took that one. Yeah. Well.
0: But it, I think it worked. I mean, it wasn't a horrible episode.
1: Um, it's so long ago since I've seen that episode, I don't recall. But uh, many of the Troy-focused episodes, eh, sometimes they're not that interesting. <laughs> Just as a general statement. Until Mom came in the picture. Sometimes... The mother-daughter dynamic—that dynamic was, was kind of good. interesting. Yeah. yeah, especially since Majel Barrett was having a great time going over the top a bit.
0: So anyway. back to this issue: uh, How many times does Spock do mind melts? He does them all. He does them all the time. It's like every page. Yeah.
1: Oh, did you actually count?
0: No, I didn't count. But good God, it was just like, <laughs> uh, okay, the, the, the background looks a little weird. Let's do a mind meld and fix that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. But the... at least he was able to talk. Uh, so I guess it was good because, I mean, he was able to finally – well, first off, Spock has to be able to explain everything. So, sure. okay, so great. This is how he can explain what's going on. And then uh, he was able to actually communicate with it. So I guess, I guess it's handy but yeah he does that a lot
0: so he talked the baby into relinquishing control of the ship and to then become a baby a human baby is that what
1: is that what happened well relinquishing well relinquishing control of the ship yes but uh i don't i don't know about the baby part well where did it come from he said uh <laughs> uh Hey, baby Apollo, could you give us back the ship? And while you're at it, uh, take the form of a baby? (laughs) So we can control
0: you because right now you're kicking our ass.
1: (laughs) Good point, man. Good point. I don't know.
0: Speaking speaking of
1: kicking asses. Oh, well, go ahead. You finish.
0: No, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, they had to do that because they couldn't send him back to the real Apollo because he disappeared. He's
1: gone. He's gone with the rest of the uh, gods. So it's not like taking...
0: A baby cue to the cue
1: continuum, or something like that. No, and it's part human, right? Right. So you have a responsibility. But really, I mean, really, the way the pat ending, the con oh, what the Constellation or whatever the other Constitution class ship just mm-hmm. takes it, or um, oh no, USS Constitution. Yeah, so I think it was the, it's
0: Constitution. the
1: Constitution. Yeah. So, I mean, really, you're gonna take god baby and mama and put him on a colony I mean what happens when the kid grows up I mean you know I mean it's Charlie X all over again it's um it's that Twilight episode with uh, Will Robinson it's like it's just not gonna go well
0: that's that's pretty that's pretty good what if what if that little boy does become the Bill Mummy character from the Twilight Zone (laughs)
1: <laughs> was was that? The, wasn't that like in the thirties or something? Or not thirties, but you know, it, it probably the the fifties, sixties, whatever. And the small town, and he was in control of everything. Yeah, you know, don't make me angry or whatever. Right? Yeah. And then all the all the adults are like, "Uh, okay." Yeah,
0: what you did is fine. It was really good. Exactly. He exactly. deserved to die. You did a really good thing.
1: Yeah, it's like um, you know, *Brightburn*. It's like Ella, this is not going to go down well,
0: <laughs> right?
1: This is just not going to happen well. Yeah, it's it's
0: tough to have god babies in your community.
1: It often doesn't turn out well, although you know, okay one one situation it did. Superman, fine, I get that. Oh, I thought
0: you were going to talk about the you know Jesus or something. <laughs> oh, a, oh, a real oh, god oh, baby. Oh, oh, oh not man, a fake that, god baby.
1: Oh, that one. Okay, <laughs> good point.
0: Yeah, good point. Yeah, Superman. That was that okay, was so interesting.
1: So there's two. <laughs> there's two examples of good, <laughs> but the rest are all bad. So I I don't I don't I think this is taking a big risk. I agree. Yeah, but you know, maybe
0: uh, maybe he relinquished all his powers too. I don't know. I don't know what happened in that mind meld. It doesn't explain.
1: Okay, so when he when he took physical or I guess physical baby form, uh, he relinquished all his powers. I have okay, no well, idea. Cool. No, I mean I'm saying it's possible. And then he turns thirteen or fourteen, and then look out—they come back. And then the real Apollo
0: comes back, and he's like, "You got my boy. Give him a boy."
1: Yeah, it says it seemed like the the Greek or the Greek gods weren't that really uh, worried too much about their kids. No, no, it didn't seem like it. it. Seemed like they were fighting more than anything. And of course, Zeus. I believe didn't didn't the story go that? Basically, Zeus killed his parents, uh yeah, Zeus killed the Titans. no, like, there you go was it
0: Titans uh, well, whatever yeah, yeah, the Titans were
1: his parents, right, so um yeah, he killed him,
0: he killed, yeah, yeah he killed them, right,
1: I think so, I think so, unless I'm mixing it up <laughs> with some other <laughs> old God things, although they they do tend to follow the same pattern, right I mean sure. um, i I think Odin and his two brothers. Uh I think they what birthed them I think he had two brothers um they ended up taking and creating the universe or something I Anyway mean, I, I recently I listened to an audiobook Neil Gaiman's uh, Norse Norse pathology really good by the way it's a good read or a good listen especially a good listen cuz Gaiman's pretty good with his uh retelling the stories Now was it fiction
0: or was it actual no, it, what they really believed oh
1: both well fiction of, of course the whole thing is fiction well i it, mean but, but i mean it is it to, is
0: it the true myths or is it his like spin on it kind of like oh, okay well stuff?
1: it's it's based on the true myths mm-hmm. um and but his point okay we, we, we can't spend too much time on this but his whole thing was many of the myths are lost to history so only some of the stories have made their way through the uh, millennia to sure. be with us now, and he just loved the stories, and so he basically retold the stories that, that did survive, that he, the ones he thought were most interesting, and he did them in the most interesting order, uh, including Ragnarok. So he ends, the, he ends the, uh, the book with Ragnarok, which makes perfect sense. Sure. Um, and I just – it was great. It, it was really interesting, especially thinking of how uh, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Marvel Comics had adapted the characters and the, and, the, and the stories for the Thor comic and the Thor movies and the Avengers and whatever. I thought it was just really interesting hearing the original stories. And yes, there are times when Gaiman throws a little extra spin into it. Where he describes things in a certain modern way that actually makes it kind of funny. Um, He has a little bit of that, but they're the real stories, Hmm. or at least how they've how they've been interpreted.
0: Right. Because that's that's another thing.
1: There's translation going on, and there over there are multiple people writing about the same story. You know, uh, doctors or uh, 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 academics. Sure. That have written um interpretations uh and, and things like that. Anyway, the main point is I thought it was really good and um and there's a lot of common themes uh with Ro- uh, Greek mythology, oddly enough Norse mythology, and of course the Roman mythology came from the Greeks. They stole right. all they stole that stuff. And uh anyway, it, it's all just very, very fascinating. Interesting. I'll have to Look that up. Yeah, that's quite quite worthwhile. Listen, and uh, he says he got into mythology because of the Thor comics. Oh, really? So he loved the comics, and it's like, and then as he got older, he's like, you know, it piqued his interest to see what the real thing was about, and uh, and he became a big fan of the the mythology and wrote the book. I don't know that much
0: about Norse mythology, but uh, I got into Greek mythology because of uh, Clash of the Titans. <laughs> I loved that movie when I was a kid. Cool. Okay. <laughs> all uh, right. Anything yeah. else for this issue? Because um, there's one more story we need to talk about.
1: Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Yeah, I'm done. I, I, I like the Chekhov one a lot better than this one. Um, but, yeah, it's fine. It's good. It's all good. All right. So this issue also had a
0: one-page short story at the end called I Sing of Arms and Heroes. Did you not read this one? Or did you think it was just a ash can of the next issue? No, I didn't.
1: Oh all right. Well I'll
0: I'll tell you what happens because
1: it's really Oh quick. yeah, that that's really short. Yeah it's only so two pages. It's, it's pages. only it's only one page. So well, well, I. well there's the splash thing, swarm. And no, then that's, there's that's the next issue.
0: Alright, let me just go let me just oh, do okay. the synopsis. It's on page forty one of the book if you wanna look at the page. All right, so here it is. I sing of Arms and Heroes.
1: Oh, wow, I didn't even see that. Huh.
0: <laughs> okay. here, here we go. McCoy and Scotty arrive to greet the new, creme- the new crew members that are joining the ship. Scotty hopes that some of them will be assigned to engineering, and he says because he needs an extra hand. Uh-huh. And then Aryx arrives, and uh, McCoy says, Scotty, your prayers have been answered.
1: that is a short one yeah
0: but it's cool to see rx in this uh photo
1: realistic way yeah and it's like he looks weird but i guess (laughs) rx always looks weird well i know but (laughs) but but it is a realistic looking torso Mm -hmm. um and the 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 shirt's kind of stretching across the, the the chest and stuff um and then and then the face, though, it almost looks like he put it together with putty, which is what they would have had to do back then. Uh uh-huh.
0: huh. And then, oh, uh, I but, totally miss this. But what's weird is that his left hand looks like Rx's hand. It's a it's a three fingered hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then his middle hand looks like it might have some more fingers, and then his right hand really definitely looks like it has more fingers.
1: It looks like it has at least three fingers and a thumb. Right. So, but uh, yeah. Okay, so that's that's a, a little off, right? But something that's spot on is I love that he's got um, he's got a uh, animated series ship right next to the Enterprise at the very top. So um, hmm? that ship that is to the left of the Enterprise, yeah, is one that I only remember ever seeing in the uh, animated series. Oh, really? Yeah. What is it? It, it's a
0: ship. See it? Yeah, I see it. I'm just trying to I've never seen anything like it.
1: Oh, well go back to the animated series and you will see it.
0: Huh.
1: And yeah, it's a the, very the strange anim- looking ship. The animated series had several unique ships that were all their you know, just all their own. And um Eagle Moss has started making some of them. Oh, that's cool. And they look You know, they look like the animated ones, you know, low on detail, you know, very smooth, simple, simple designs. Um, Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So uh, that's a nice touch, him throwing a uh, animated series one and one that looks photorealistic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah.
1: Cool. Dagnabbit. I could have missed that. All okay. right, and that's it. That's Thank it, it for this that. issue. All right. Okay. So um, so next week next we're week.
0: going to uh, go back to some uh, even older Star Trek stories with
1: the UK comic strips. Uh,
0: yes. The 7, 8, and 9 in that Volume 1
1: uh, hardcover. Yes, so we're kind of bouncing back and forth, and we'll uh, go back and uh, do, some good, do some more UK comics. To see um, uh, another take on, on Star Trek. Right. Because it right. is kind of different. Yeah. It, it's a little gold-key-ish, but... Um... But there
0: towards the issue six, they seem like they got more of the, the ships and stuff, yep. stuff right. Yeah. So I'm sure with 7, 8, and 9, it's going to be more in line with the Star Trek that we know.
1: There you go. So fewer Thunderbirds and a little bit more traditional Taws. Right.
0: That's what we assume. We haven't read it yet.
1: Right, although although I think you're right because six definitely had the uh, shuttlecraft, yeah, the L.A.O. Seven. So right, instead of the space bug, the space bug. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny.
0: All right, well, uh, thank you for listening, and
1: uh, we'll be back next week. See you next week, everybody. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios, Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name st comic second name book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.